You're listening to LeBeau's Life Lessons. Tune in and go to LeBeau'sLifeLessons.com for more episodes. Share, like, follow, and subscribe. And remember, you can change if you truly want to. All right. And welcome to LeBeau's Life Lessons. Today, we're going to pick back up on my series. The series is called Willpower, 88 Secrets to Self-Discipline. 88 secrets to self-discipline. So we are going to be talking about self-discipline, willpower. What does it take to break out of your habits and change them? Around this time of year is when a lot of people start to fall away from their New Year's resolutions. And the reason why they do that is because they just feel hopeless and helpless. And I said on the last show that, you know, a lot of people assume that they can change themselves even without knowing really anything about human behavior, psychology, how the mind works, and all these different things that that tell us why we form habits. And so we just try to blindly go out there and correct things for ourselves, and we're not informed enough to do so effectively. So I've been you know, gradually getting everybody through some major themes, driving home some major things that really need to be stuck in your brain so you never forget about the real cause of issues surrounding discipline and breaking habits. Now, um, whenever I was a uh, drug and alcohol counselor, a lot of the people that I was I dealt with were not just trying to break habits uh, concerning substance abuse. They were trying to break habits of thinking. They were trying to get rid of their bad memories. They were trying to get rid of their trauma. They also had other types of addictions and anxieties. So it goes far beyond um, making resolutions. This is about adapting, curating your your morality and also your behavior and staying in control of that. Don't you want to be a master at self-control and self-discipline? Don't you want to be the type of person that can stay on top of your your goals and, and reach every goal or almost every goal? All right. All right. So let's get started. And if you have any questions along the way, just drop them in. I have my TikTok crew on. And um, we were having a rousing discussion about Creoleness. I do talk a lot about that on my page. I'm a part of some organizations that educates people on Creole identity. Hey, Pipeline. All right, so let's get rolling. So I said that I was going to talk about 88. So there's about three episodes before this one. This is going to be the fourth. There's going to be one last one. And this one, I'm going to go through six from 61 to 78. So I'm gonna to talk to you about 17 types of reinforcement, 17 types. There's many different types of reinforcement. I'm just gonna go over 17. Um, yes, you'll be able to see this later if you go to LeBeau'sLifeLessons.com my episodes are already up there and i'm on all the streaming platforms so all of this will be there 
uh, by tomorrow from today's episode. And you should go and listen to the other ones first. All right, let's roll. Okay, now, what a person does is based on who he is. I know that's a hard pill to swallow. Uh, the link may be on my bio, bio LeBowsLifeLessons.com. Okay, and we know who a person is by how he behaves. How you behave is who you are. And if you take that quite literally, it's going to prompt you to want to change your behavior, right? If, if you really tell yourself, like, all the things that I do is really my fault, and you take that wholly and you wholly own that, own that it may motivate you to want to change, okay? Now, when we think about what we're talking about today, which is, you know, why we get into certain types of habits, um, and why some certain things are hard for us to stop doing, we have to talk about um, why certain people are, let's see, let's say that they are predisposed to developing these bad habits and are hard for them to break. Why is that? That's what I really wanna talk about today. Why is it that certain people have it harder than others when it comes to breaking bad habits? Okay, so understand this. At the top of this conversation, multiple reinforcements, whether it's positive or negative, but mostly positive, or stimulators make it hard for you to change your behavior. If you have multiple reinforcements, like multiple things that are prompting you to do something, and you're being stimulated to do it at the same time, that is going to make it hard for you to take a different path in your brain. And if you can't take a different path in your brain, you won't be able to take a different path in your actions because your, your body just does what your brain tells it to do. So when we say multiple reinforcements, let's say for instance that we're talking about a person who, um, a person who knows, let's say, let's talk about diet since that's the most common thing that people try to get control of, over. Let's say, for instance, that you're like me and you are obsessed with donuts and you have to stay away from them, okay? Um, if you're triggered to eat donuts when you're stressed or when you are sad, that's two reinforcements, the stress, the sadness, uh, triggers, and you are remembering that rewarding feeling of the feel, the, the, the bite, the, like the feeling of a donut in your mouth, and it feels good when you eat it, and then somebody shows donuts to you, that, that stimulator, now you have a reinforcement compounded with a stimulator you feel like there's no other choice you just got to eat the donut you get what i mean there's no other choice now let's say let's remove one of those let's say that you're not stressed you're not stressed okay and somebody brings the donuts in you're like mm, i'll pass today but see 
when they come back around later on that day and you're in a bad mood, now you have stress and a stimulator and that means action most of the time. You can apply that to everything. Let's take anger. Let's say that you have an anger problem and let's say that you tend to curse people out when you get angry, but you're trying to stop. That's one of your resolutions that you are gonna stop cursing people, okay? Good resolution. Now, let's say that you tend to curse when you are angry, triggered, and you remember that it felt it feels good to you when you are able to curse somebody else. So now you have your reinforcement established. Now let somebody come in that moment where you are angry and they stimulate you or provoke you to curse. You have the reinforcement, you have the stimulation, and that's gonna make you very vulnerable to give in and break your, break your goal. So that's how, how a lot of people end up in an addiction type of situation. When you have compounding reinforcement that have the same end or operant, you usually gonna form an addiction there, okay? So let's say this, let's say, um, what's another, let's say drinking, let's say alcohol for instance, all right? Let's say that you have two things that make you, let's say three, you have three things that make you wanna drink. When you are anxious, sad, and angry. Now let's say you have a day where in the beginning of the day, you have an interview. So you're anxious about that. Let's say that first interview didn't go well, so you got sad later on. Let's say that you showed up for a second net, uh, interview, but they canceled last minute. Now you're angry. That is three reinforcement, three compounding reinforcements. Usually where, where you usually would drink if you were just anxious or just sad or just angry. Now you have all three on the same day. You're going to drink that day because you, that is how you solve each and each, every one of those problems with the same outcome, drink, okay? So this is why you follow that same pat that when you follow that same pattern, because if you have that mix, that perfect mix of emotions that leads you to that behavior, that makes you really vulnerable. So your emotions, are associated with an operant, meaning an action that you do. For some people, it's eating. For some people, it's outbursts. For some people, it's smoking. For some people, it's drinking. And you keep associating your emotion with that action. So that's why when you have a mix of emotions on any given day, you still go to that one thing to solve each and every one of those emotions and there you have addiction. That's one way to describe an element of addiction, okay? All right, so let's get into number 62. Okay, that was 61. Let's get into number 62. One type of reinforcement is reciprocal reinforcement. Okay? How much of what you do 
is based on habit versus virtue. Changing how someone acts will eventually change how people feel because people change their thinking based on what they habitually do. An example of that is, for instance, let's say you were a bit of a prude growing up. Let's say that all through high school you were very reserved, prudish, um, you know, you didn't, you didn't hang out with, with the wild girls and you just, you know, were very calm, timid, whatever. And let's say that you had a belief system about those types of people. You had a perception of them. It was a negative perception. But let's say you go to college and you start hanging out with people like that. You start doing some of the things that they do. Over time, your perception of those people will change because you are now habitually doing what those people do. Now your virtues aren't the same anymore. This is the same reason why when you get around a different environment, a new normal, it greatly influences your virtues. So if you are, let's say, the wild type of person, now suddenly for whatever, for, you know, whatever reason, you're around a lot of virtuous people. Over time, you habitually doing what those people do will change your perception of what is moral or not. You will look back over the things that you've done in your life and you'll say, oh, well, I don't think that's moral anymore. It can go either way. So the reciprocal part of the reinforcement is you doing what you see being done, right? And copying that and matching it, okay? And you matching your surroundings is reinforcing. So let's, for, let's say for instance, you are a, a white bread white guy and somehow you end up going to a, a black college, a HBCU, all of a sudden your clothes start to change, your, the way you talk starts to change, the, the types of music you listen to starts to change. And you notice that the more you adapt to the new surrounding and the new people, they kind of let you in a little bit. They kind of accept you a little bit more. That's reinforcing to you. It's reciprocal, but you're mirroring them and they're approving of you because of that. That reinforces us to change our behavior, okay? It, it can work both negatively and positively and that's kind of how the brain is. The brain is, is a double-edged sword. The same brain that makes it so that you remember how to brush your teeth every morning and don't have to relearn that is also the same brain that will get you addicted to chain smoking by the same means. Number 63, approval as reinforcement. We can give behavior under the control of a stimulus. Doing good without a behavior associated, we may satiate a person. When I have to explain this part. Um, let's say for instance that we do well, most of us do well because of the rewards. For instance, money can be a, a measure as a reward, a measure of our behavior. If we behave well at work, we will get money as a reward, right? Okay, now just imagine what would happen if you were just overdosed with money at work. 
Would you be as motivated to work really hard? Probably not, because why? You've been satiated. Instead of having to work for what you want, the reward, it's freely being given to you. Now you're like, kick back and you're not working as hard. It kind of works that, that way in relationships as well, guys. Sometimes when it's, it's really weird, even scientists haven't been able to explain this yet, but you would think that giving people more will make them work even harder. When in fact, researchers have researched this and they said, the more you satiate a person is the less inclined they will be to work hard in that area. So let's say for instance, you are the type of guy or woman in a relationship that you give, 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 you give your best, you are nice, you're kind, you're super, you're all of this, and, and you're a great companion. That will actually have a satiating effect on most people because most people will start to kind of not work as hard and give you and match your energy because you've re, you've over rewarded them you overdosed them in love so they just like well i don't have to do anything anymore that i'm just getting loved on and I, I don't even have to try okay so withholding good reinforces good behavior so if you actually if your boss actually withholds that promotion a little bit longer he's going he's actually making you work harder if he were to just give it to you, most of the time you will you will stay at that level. But if he keeps holding it back, you're gonna work a little bit harder. He says, uh, six more months. He yeah, six more months pass. Uh, we can't give it now. Certain things have happened. You're just gonna keep working harder and harder to a certain point. So that's that's what science has revealed. Okay. So withholding good reinforces good behavior because people will need to behave to receive good. Whereas if we do good to people without requiring any behavior, we may negatively impact how they treat us or they'll end up taking us for granted. This also happens with your children, guys. So if you over reward your children, what do we call that? Spoiled, right? We call that spoiled. When you over reward your children, you satiate them to the point where they don't feel like they have to be good to get good back in life. And that is not good for anybody, okay? It comes back to bite you in the butt. Number 64, punitive reinforcement. So this is the, the negative end. We don't just do things for positive rewards, we also do it to avoid pain, okay? Governing is about punitive action, okay? Governing is about punitive action. Adversity and consequences build account accountability and obligation. Some people do not respond to attention, approval, encouragement, affection. This is why therapy like this, like that, does not always work. So I've said a lot of things in it. When you govern someone, you're watching over them, just in case you need to lay down the law, right? The punitive consequences. And when, when we face adversity in life, Sometimes that helps us to become more accountable. For instance, if you're at work um, and you notice that you have certain people challenge you all the time because you're not as you know precise in everything you do, it'll kind of make you step up a little bit more and say, you know what, just because I know this person is really gonna, I don't wanna hear this person's mouth, I'm gonna go the extra mile. So that's how that works, right? It helps you to have an obligation 
to do better. Some people, they don't just do good because they should. They don't, the only thing that's keeping them from breaking the law and treating people badly is because they're afraid of jail. They're afraid of the police. They're afraid of the consequences. And that's the only thing that's keeping them virtuous, okay? You take away some of those things and they would just be a ratchet human being, okay? They might become very insufferable. And I talked about this in one of the episodes. How do you deal with a person or primarily a child who does not respond to, um, you know, the positive reinforcement? You know, some parents, they encounter that with their children. They try to reward them into good behavior. And the rewarding and rewarding and rewarding, it does not work because they don't want to use punitive action. They don't want to spank, so they just give a reward. They say, if you do this, you can have that. And they want that to work, but that child may only be motivated by consequences. Okay? So, Different people are motivated by different things. Another thing I explained in one of the episodes is that the, one of the main major differences in people is what motivates you. Some people are not motivated by the same things you're motivated by at the same level. Some of you may say, I want to live a long life and that's important to me. Some people feel like, I don't really care if I live that long as long as I enjoy myself. You're not motivated by length of life at the same level. So this person's going to live a lot differently than you do because of that. 65, self-reinforcement. Art, such as poetry and paintings, are created regardless of the type of response it gets. Right? Why? Because it's therapeutic. We feel good when we create art. We feel good when we create something beautiful. Right? Okay. So... Artists do these things to reinforce themselves, even if they're not reinforcing anybody else or everybody else, right? For instance, I'm a writer. I've been writing since I was a child. And I, I write my philosophies and all those different things. That is reinforcing to me because that's my art. And it makes me feel good to put that out there, okay? Even if I know there's only 10 people watching me right now. It's still reinforcing to me because I have to pour. It feels good that I'm a person that reads, 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 always consuming information. I have to release. And even if I was standing up here by myself, I've done it for years and nobody was listening to me, I would still do it. That's part of knowing what your true purpose is. What would you do if you never got paid to do it? What would you continue to do if no one was going to reward you for it? Okay, that's your assignment. Number 66. Power as reinforcement. Power. People learn how to control others better than they do themselves. In fact, um, People prefer to actually look towards others and control their behavior before they will ever look at their own, okay? We've all seen this to be true. And that power is reinforcing. We like, a lot of us are motivated by power in different ways. The narcissistic people, they're very motivated by that. And that's why they behave the way they do. Someone says, 
do the world a favor and create a course for women to become like you. Aw, I, I actually uh, am starting a parenting class in Fort Worth next month. So that's going to launch and that's going to be good because parenting, seeing bad parenting is very um, triggering to me. And it's, it's triggering enough that I have to do something. Yeah. Thanks, Lorraine. Um, so anyway, this is also reinforcing too for me, very. Okay, number 67, spiritual reinforcement. The spiritual person seeks to control themselves. Okay, they're not obsessed with power. They want to master themselves. That's, that's how I am. I want to master myself more than anything. I, I asked God in prayer last week even, I said, God, help me to be a master of self-control. Self-control. I want to be an example of self-control. Um, but a spiritual person seeks to control themselves, not the world around them, okay? We can, as spiritual people, we can, we can do our best to try to influence the world or as many people as we can, but we're mostly concerned at getting ourselves together um, if we have the right intentions, right? Um, the non-spiritual person wants to control others and they control by attacking others many, many cases. There's a lot of people who are under the guise of being a spiritual person. You could tell they're actually not because they just want to control and attack other people. Number 67, 68, societal reinforcement. I kind of talked about this earlier, but social behavior and practices aren't always formulated, okay? But people expect you to know them. So when you go into a new position or into some new group or whatever, um, People kind of actually expect you to know the social cues and how to behave and what not to do and what not to say. They don't necessarily tell you, right? But every environment has a protocol and that is reinforcing to you that the more we adapt, we, we're so motivated by this. Um, some people aren't. This, these are gonna be the wild cards in the club, right? Or the group, they're gonna be the person that's kind of outrageous and they don't care what anybody thinks. But even though these rules aren't spoken, when we adapt to them, we get that pat on the back and we like, we like that. So we change our behavior because of that. Um, what we feel about our behavior towards others is its effect on us. And what we feel about our own behavior towards others is determined by their reaction. And that's actually something that we really need to think about. A lot of times we're not even aware of our own behavior unless somebody calls us out for it. Um, or if we have, we have some personal negative effect, but if we don't feel affected by it, many times we're not even realizing that we're coming off a certain way. So somebody has to come, like especially if we have some um, self-awareness issues, we don't really feel like it's a problem until somebody tells us, hey, you really offended me when you said that, or hey, that really hurt my feelings, or that wasn't cool of you to say that, right, or do that. So and that's another thing. Number 69, and we're going to 78, by the way. Revenge as reinforcement. Some people love revenge, right? We try to restrain those who we feel are restraining us. We try to criticize or punish those who do so. 
people oppose control because control uh, controls are often misused in society. And so because of people trying to control us in the way that they treat us, we try to get ahead of them or we try to react to that. Um, and that's reinforcing at different levels. For everything that I'm saying on this list, let's just say that it's kind of like the five love languages. You know the five love languages where they say, you know, whichever one you like the most is your primary love language, but actually all of these things are reinforcing to you just at different levels, right? It's the same thing when we look at the world. We look at the world and we see so many problems, but the truth is how much of a problem it is for us personally, you know, is different person to person. Some people feel like um, animal extinction is more important than the environmental issues or opposite, right? Some people think that the issues that go on nation to nation and, and, and those things are more important than um, household disputes. So it just depends on what you find to be more reinforcing. Number 70, emotional reinforcement. Feelings dictate actions and actions dictate feelings as well. You know, sometimes we think that um, it's just our emotions that affect our actions, but sometimes actions that we have or around us affect our emotions. Have you ever been mad at yourself because you did something when you lacked self-control and then you were emotional about it because you could only blame you for what you did, right? And you're mad at yourself for messing something up, okay? That's an example, but emotions reinforce us. How we feel about ourselves or what we do in our reaction to our own selves and our own behavior can also reinforce us. I'll give an example, a personal example. Um, I, I, I am really hard on myself. So if I mess something up, I will give myself a hard time. That reinforces me. I try to take what I messed up on and like better my behavior so that I don't make the same mistake again. Um, and so those negative feelings I have about myself for being in error make, motivate me, reinforce me in a negative way to do better next time. And that's, that's intrinsic motivation, right? That's what people are talking about. You don't, you know, we all want to get to a point where we have the maturity where people don't have to, oh, I got to tell you about this one time. I remember I was working at a certain place and I was in sales and the sales manager, you know, he did his weekly meeting with us and he did his one-on-one. -on -one. And um, I don't know if it was in a weekly or one-on-one -on -one meeting, but he said, you know, you should feel, why do you, he said, why do you think I have you in here? Um, and I said, oh, because I wasn't making any sales or whatever. And he was like, even before I said it, you already knew you were wrong. You already knew what the problem was. You probably already felt it before you came in this room. And that's that's intrinsic, right? That's that guilt. I was carrying, carrying guilt. 
It wasn't because I didn't make any sales. It was actually because I didn't make any effort. And that's what he was calling me out on, my lack of effort. You see what I mean? He didn't know how to motivate me to be a better salesperson, but he did know how to help me identify that I, I should feel guilty for being paid on the clock for doing nothing. Right? So, um, yes, those feelings can be reinforcing. Number 71, fear. Some people are motivated by the need to appease others. Their giving, for example, is negatively reinforced by the threat of disapproval or the feeling of guilt. Some people's fear manifests as paranoia, motivating them to protect themselves from enemies and threats which only exist in their minds. Some of our enemies are just in our minds. And sometimes we imagine things to be worse than what they, they're really going to be. When we say no and we have a fear of disapproval, that's an example of that. Okay, And some people are ruled by that anxiety, that fear. So when you are talking to a person who keeps loaning people money because he's afraid to say no to that person and he doesn't want to do it, he doesn't think they deserve it. He wants to do something else with his money, but he gives in because of the fear of what might happen if I say no. If you ask him, are you just giving this money because you just letting them borrow money because you're afraid that they're going to disapprove you? Oh, no, 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 that's not it. I, I just I want to help them out. The reality is a lot of people are walking around and people think, oh, this person is such a nice person. They're so giving. When the only reason why they're as giving as they are is because truth be told, they're a people pleaser. They can't say no because they've never been able to say no. When they tried to say no in the past, they were beaten down. So they've learned to never say no. And now they're in that people pleasing relationship with everybody. And that, that fear of disapproval rules their life in their pockets. Oh yeah, I've been there before. Not anymore. Number 72, hate. Hate. Mutual hate unifies and mobilizes people quicker than love. That's all I wrote there because you already can see how hate is reinforcing. Some people feel good about hating and hate motivates them to do things. Anger is another reinforcer, number 73. The problem that angers you the most in the world is a problem you have the capability to solve. Anger is like fire. It can warm, it can do a lot of good. It can also destroy. Anger should be used like fire. Um, you need anger, and sometimes not all anger is bad. Um, but sometimes anger can motivate you to do something good. You know, like for instance, I'm angry about bad parents in the world. That motivates me to make a parenting class. So it can actually work for you. I try to tell people to, you know, I learned that you don't necessarily have to get rid of a trait. You just need to refocus it. Um, I remember that, uh, here's an example of that. If someone, let's say someone has a terrible diet, an absolutely terrible diet, 
And um, you could approach it this way. You could say, I'm going to take all of this bad food from you and replace it with good food. They're going to hate that. It's going to be hard for them to adapt to that. Or you could say, I'm going to let you have all the food you like, but in smaller portions. So that way you don't have to get rid of the food you like. You just have to eat less of it. Both outcomes will have the same result, less calories. If that's the goal, you have two different ways of approaching it. In the same way, you don't have to get rid of somebody's anger. Sometimes you can tell them to lessen it, mitigate it, and they will learn how to deal with it. Okay. I don't like to deal with things. I like to get rid of them, but I'm just saying there's another way to approach it. Number 74, pain is a reinforcer. You cannot have success without wisdom, and you cannot have wisdom without correction. Pain is a good corrector. Not all pain is bad. Pain is an indicator that something is wrong. Pain is an alert, is an alarm. Sometimes we need pain to motivate us to stay on the narrow path, to step up. You get in lazy, pain, get back on track. Get what I mean? Number 75, grandiosity as a reinforcer. Visualization in the eyes, mind of power, or in the eyes, mind of power, prestige, honor, and adoration is highly motivating reinforcement to some people, okay? Them seeing themselves being powerful, having a lot of prestige and honor and adoration is very motivating. I see my name in lights. I see myself on stage, right? That's that's reinforcing for some people. Um, you know, and just by the way, just because somebody is in the limelight doesn't mean that they are like that, by the way. Um, but these people, um, this is a strong motivator for people who come from a painful background. Um, that is, it is a self-glorification, self-affirmation type of thing. They need that, that glorification because of long-standing belittlement. So you see a lot of people who come from the bottom wanting to rise to be stars. They want to be stars. They want to be famous. Why? Because they come from the bottom and they were belittled and they were talked down to. Now they want to be glorified and they start the glorification process in their minds and they start to visualize themselves on top. Like I said, it's motivating at different levels. Some people don't need that. Some people need it a lot. Some people can use it to their advantage and motivate them to achieve their goals. However, you know, there's a balance to everything. Number 76. And by the way, that self-glorification and grandiosity, um, the way that looks like today is, is when you see people who talk about how beautiful and how fine they are because, you know, they come from like, you know, people who are always talked down to and called everything but that. So they start going around boasting about themselves. 
That's called self-glorification, self-affirmation. Number 76, we all, we're almost done. 76, deprivation is a great reinforcer. Remember, reinforcement can be positive and negative. Reinforcer just means motivator. So deprivation, not having something you feel like you need, and by the way, in the beginning of this first this uh, series, the first episode, I talk about people, we all do things that we think we have to do to survive. Some of the things you see people do, you, they're doing it because they need that. They have to do, they feel, they feel like they have to do it. They can't live without it. So when you keep that from them, they feel deprived. Not having something that, that you, something that you believe you deserve, um, it will lead you to do things even against your morals. It will lead you to do things against your morals. This is why you see in a lot of impoverished communities, there's a lot of crime because people feel deprived of their basic necessities. Stimulation is number 77. This causes many people to go down a path of destruction, even when they weren't even thinking about it, okay? Stimulation is basically temptation. You, you don't even have to be thinking about it and somebody puts it on your mind. Um, you know, it could be, let's say for instance, you're highly stimulated by really nice shoes. And let's say you're just walking down the street and minding your own business and you walk down the street, you look to the left and you see these beautiful shoes in the window. Now you're highly stimulated. That's very reinforcing to you, very motivating, right? However, if enough of these instances occur, what's gonna happen? You're gonna get in a destructive buying habit and you're gonna be shoe poor. Meaning you're gonna have a lot of shoes, but you're gonna be broke, okay? This is how people get into hoarding. One of the reasons, well, let's just say one of the reasons people hoard is because they are stimulated by buying, okay? They're stimulated by that, it's highly reinforcing to them. And so because it's reinforcing to them, they end up in a negative situation. So stimulation or temptation can lead us down a path of destruction, okay? But when you take stimulation plus deprivation and you add reinforcement on top of that, now you, you're probably going to have an addiction on your hands, okay? And that's how you have certain people who have addictions that are very hard to resolve because they have compounding reinforcement, compounding stimulation. And you add to that, them feeling deprived of something. Now you have something, a chain that's really hard to break. You get that really hard to shake, okay? So when you wanna look at, you know, what's motivating somebody's habit you ask, you have to ask these, answer these questions. What's motivating it? How is this stimulating you? Okay. And how do you feel deprived in a way that makes you reach for this habitually? Okay. It has to be compounding. 
It has to be compounding. It's, it's many reasons. So at the top of this episode, I asked the question, why is it that certain people have harder habits to break than others? Your answer is, it's compounding. They have compounding reinforcements, compounding stimulation, and compounding deprivation. They're in their mind and in their lifestyle. Three, these three things mix and now they only reach for this one thing and because they reach for it because of the compounding reasons, that means multiple times they're reaching for it. Now their brain has created a pathway, a literal pathway that connects that action to that, that trigger over and over and over where they have no other place to turn. It's a very deep, imagine that it's a very, very deep um, alley or a very deep canal and where if you were trying to get out of it, you have to reach and you have to struggle to try to, to crawl your way out of this, this deep canal. Well, that's how it is in your brain. Once your brain has created a pathway and you wanna say, I wanna get out of it, you're gonna to have to keep reaching. You're gonna to have to literally dig another pathway in your brain to give yourself a way out and escape from that addiction. And you're gonna to have to keep digging um, and keep reaching. Thanks, Gwendol. And finally, this one made the list, but just barely as a um, reinforcer or motivator of behavior. And it's kind of not, but I'm just putting it on there because of people's perceptions. And that is naivete. Naivete can seem to be a motivator or a stimulator. It just depends on how you look at it. Why is that? Somebody said they're so glad they called this good. Um, share it when you get a chance on LeBosLifeLessons.com. Also, LeBose Life Lessons is a podcast that's available on all streaming platforms even on Audible, okay? Um, why is naivete considered a reinforcer? Because immaturity is also often looked at as an exoneration of accountability. Um, behavior of naive people is often forgiven um, because they're too young right, to be held completely responsible. So people who are young-minded are, you know, people who are immature are often motivated intrinsically by their immaturity to do immature things, and they won't be held account accountable for it fully, depending on how people perceive them to be. If they perceive, oh, this person is young, so yeah, they're young, you know, hmm, it was a bad choice, but they're young. Youth exonerates, it absolves you. And that is highly motivating to some people, you know. All right, now next time, um, on the next episode, I'm gonna end this series going through 79 to 88. And I'm going to talk about the extinction curve, okay? How to rewire your brain and change your behavior for good.
for good. The extinction curve. Um, when I say for good, does that mean that you can never relapse? No, because you can definitely remember the pathway. You can remember how you, you um, got to where you were. Your brain is still there. It's, the pathway is still there. So for instance, if you have that canal in your brain that I talked about, that addiction, and let's say you filled it up with dirt, your it's still there, the canal is still there, and you could still go and dig it right back up again, right? Okay, so it's the same thing. You can go back, um, but you're gonna have to dig your way back into that canal. So it's not gonna happen, when you relapse once, no, you're not gonna be in too deep. You relapse twice, three times, four times, five times, you're not gonna be in there too deep. But you do it enough times, now you're right back in the canal that you have had to dig yourself out of years ago. This is how you see people lose a lot of weight and then they gain it right back. They remembered the pathway to gaining weight and they dug themselves back in the hole. Someone said, thank you so much for sharing and giving so much insight. I'm glad you liked it. We have one more episode and then we're gonna be out of this. Now, you know, my, my show is largely dedicated to human behavior. Addiction is, is such a huge, huge topic. Eventually I'll come back around and talk to people about it again in a different way, a completely different way. There's so many ways to dissect it and so many angles you can come from. So great topic. All right, so thanks again, guys, for listening. And remember, you can change if you really want to. Thanks for hanging on, and I'll see you next week. Bye. You've been listening to LeBeau's Life Lessons. Let's keep the discussion going. Join us on TikTok and follow. Remember to go to LeBeau'sLifeLessons.com for more episodes.